to see everyone. Good to see those of you joining us online. Uh, let's pray. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for uh, this chance that we get to, to come together, Lord, to, uh, to worship you, uh, God, where, uh, where all of us can, can come together from wherever we are, whether we're here in person, those watching online. God, and we have an incredible opportunity to just worship you together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that uh, as, as we open up your word, as, as we look to, uh, to what you have to say for us uh, and to us, God, that you, would, um, that you would speak to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way. I pray that you would bless every gift that's given as, uh, as we get the opportunity to worship you through our giving as well. Lord, use every penny to grow your kingdom and, uh, and, and reach this world for you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as, as was mentioned uh, in the video and, and, um, and by our worship leaders, uh, welcome. If, uh, if you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor. And we have been uh, talking uh, the, the last week, at least, and this week also, uh, about the word toxic. And we've been talking about our communication. And I'm just going to kind of get right into it uh, today because the way we communicate and the way that we relate to others matters. And the word toxic has been used a lot, uh, especially in, you know, the last few years. It's, uh, people are known as a toxic person, as, as somebody who, who can maybe just like destroy um, a relationship and destroy a room when they walk in because they're just a toxic person or whatever. That's, that's used a lot. But, you know, when it comes to how we communicate as followers of Jesus, as the church, as believers, uh, you know, how we communicate, it's a key component to how we live out our faith. It's a key component to, to how we serve and how we worship. And so it really does matter, which is why there's so much has been, has been written about it in Scripture, and we're looking at the book of James. And so if you do have uh, your Bibles, if you have your Bible app, uh, you can certainly follow along uh, in, in the book of James. Uh, we're actually going to be in James 4, but I want to start in James chapter 1 and, and look at a verse that we looked at last week that really applies to the overarching um, premise of this entire thing uh, about being toxic and, and how we can communicate better and what we can learn from that. Uh, and it's in uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And so last week, we, we talked about that idea and how just something as simple as the way that our words can be life-giving or the way in which they could be toxic and destructive, uh, a, a good method of, of getting better at this is right here in this verse, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And today I wanna to talk about conflict. I wanna talk about conflicts and resolving conflicts God's way, or at least one approach to God's way of, of resolving conflicts because many times conflict is rooted in pride and selfish actions. So a toxic culture, as we have talked about as well, is created with toxic communication. Many times, toxic communication results in a toxic culture within an organization, within a group of people, within um, you know, various places. And our, our words, as, as we've said, can be bullets or seeds. And last week, I gave everybody some seeds, and uh, clearly I jinxed it because it snowed like two days later. And so, yeah, sorry. But, uh, but you know, our words can be bullets or seeds. I hope you get that idea, though, in terms of we can destroy somebody or we can plant something with our words that grow and become something, uh, something with purpose and something, something beautiful. And all of us 
need work on this. All of us need work on this because we are all sinful people. We mess this up. I mess this up all the time because we have a tendency to be toxic and we have a tendency to be self-centered. Instead, we should be others-centered. Others-centered. We should be others-centered. This is the opposite of toxic. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry is others-centered. Now, the book of James, uh, it was written by the brother of Jesus, and it was written to the church, by the way. It was written to the church. It wasn't written uh, to, to people who weren't believers or, or people who needed to be more spiritual necessarily. It was, it was written to the church. And yes, they were scattered. Yes, they were being persecuted and, and all of those things. But this was what they needed to draw them together and to keep them from further division. And so do we. We're living in a divided time right now. And James, as he talks about our tongue and our words in chapter three and the power of them, chapter four then he builds on that because our words put us in conflict with others more than anything else. Our words put us in conflict with other people more than anything else. I can't think of a, a time that I've maybe had a conflict with somebody that wasn't partially because of words that were either said or written or text or something. Um, we don't say the right thing. We're not, we're not great at that. And sometimes we don't even say anything. And that's not helpful either. Um, I remember uh, about 15, 16 years ago, um, I got an email from my dad. Actually, my sister and I both got this email from my dad. And you want to talk about where words could potentially cause conflict. Uh, this was the day after my grandfather passed away. We called him Papa. And, uh, and so we, we get this email from my dad. And it says something along these lines. I don't remember exactly what it says, but I remember the end. Uh, because it said, um, Papa passed away. And uh, his funeral is going to be on Tuesday. Uh, and it's going to be at this funeral home. And it's going to be at this time. LOL, Dad. <laughs> now, if you know my dad, he jokes around a lot. This was not a time that I thought that made sense. And we all grieve differently, I get it. But like, like if you didn't know, this means laugh out loud. And so he's like, Papa's funeral is, is tomorrow and here's the stuff, ha ha ha, dad, you know? I mean, essentially, that's what it read like. And so, like, Joanne calls me, like, I don't know, 15 minutes later or something. Like, she's like, did you get this email from Dad? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not sure what's... So eventually, we talked to him about it. And I, I cleared this with Dad before I shared this story, by the way, just so you all know. Um, so keep in mind, this was 15, 16 years ago. Texting and things like that were, uh, in terms of, like, shorthand and using this for laugh out loud, that was a fairly newish thing at the time, he thought it meant lots of love. It did not mean that to us. So words matter, right? Words matter, and, and it wasn't intentional. Like his heart was totally in the right place and all of those things, of course, but it could have caused some conflict, potentially, you know? Um, by the way, just a, just a little side, side lesson, if you will, um, and I used to tell my students this all the time when I was a youth pastor. Just as a heads up, I think we forget this sometimes because we're so used to like when we're talking to somebody, just hey, da 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 da, right? Please keep in mind 
you can't tell tone of voice on the other side of a text or an email. Let me just challenge you. I mean, this may save some drama in your life for a minute here, honestly. Just think it through before you send it. Take, take two seconds and say, is this gonna be received the way in which I am intending it to be received, or could somebody take this the wrong way? And if you just read that through with that perspective, I promise you, you will avoid some things. Now, you may be trying to be whatever when you send that, and that's on you, and we'll talk about that, <laughs> but, and causing conflicts. But, but at the same time, like, just keep that in mind. Tone of voice cannot be, you can't really understand tone of voice, and you're like, Jay, I can do all caps, okay. But like, really, tone of voice cannot be, you can't tell that necessarily with text and emails. Let me, let me give you an example. If I, if I say this sentence, maybe you've heard this sentence before, uh, something where you inflect something differently, it has a whole new meaning. If I say the sentence, she stole all my money, but I say, she stole all my money. She stole all my money. She stole all my money. Right? I just said three different things, but I inflected things very differently there. It, it matters. Our words matter, and even the way we say things matters. 87% of the opinions people have about you when it comes to, to what we say is based on our vocal tone versus 13% of the words spoken. Think about that. In terms of when, when somebody first has an opinion of you in, in what you're saying, 87% of the opinions people have about you, their first impression is based on your vocal tone and quality. How we say things matters. And so James goes to talk about this and, and, he, and he's talking about conflict because a lot of times we cause conflict, maybe it's unintentional, maybe it's not. But within the body of Christ, we don't always handle it the best. And just humans in general, we don't handle it the best. I think we all know that. Captain Obvious here. So let's look at James chapter 4, if you will. We're going to start right at the beginning of James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So what kind of seeds are we sowing when we're speaking to people and, and when our words are rooted in motives that are selfish and when our when our words are rooted in, uh, in, in just our desires. And then what can we learn from this about conflict resolution? Well, there's a few things we can learn from this, but let me start with this one, is, it, is that we should start with ourselves. When it comes to conflict resolution and, and doing it God's way, let's start with ourselves, meaning this, judge your selfish motives. Judge your own selfish motives. Start there, start with, with the mirror, right? The first place we should start is ourselves, the mirror mentality. So many times in scripture, you see, and we'll read this in a little bit, about, about how we should be focused on others and, and thinking of others. And so are we placing seeds of doubt and mistrust in, about others because we aren't getting our way? When the words, when we have the chance to maybe speak into a situation, are we just instead placing seeds of doubt and mistrust instead of seeds of, of encouragement and, and uplifting? Can I tell you what that's called? Gossip. That's called Gossip. And by the way, no one thinks they're a gossip. I've never met somebody who's like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm definitely a gossip for sure. Yeah, hands up for your gossip. Yeah, zero people, right? But you know what? Most, most people that love to point out 
those that are gossips, they're gossips. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? Selfish motives that war within us, as the verse says. Selfish motives that war within us, so we scheme and kill to get it. And maybe not literally kill, but we can destroy somebody with the words that we say when we are driven by selfish motives. When we let our selfish motives drive us and we're not being other-centered, we can destroy somebody with the words that come out of our mouth. And it's not easy sometimes to be in a community of people. And I'll tell you where else it's, it's not always easy to be in a community of, is a community of believers. It can be tough to be in a community of believers. Why? Because you're selfish. Because I'm selfish. Because we're sinful people. It can be tough. People disappoint us. People hurt us. Churches disappoint us. Churches hurt us. But you know, true Christian community, true Christian community has the potential to release us from the drug of selfish ambition because that's really what it is. It, it almost acts like a drug in, in this selfish ambition that we have to please ourselves. True Christian community, which is one of the reasons why we just really push life groups so much because when you're in true Christian community and life groups, that really pushes against that because we're all growing in our faith and we're growing toward the Lord and, and, and we're putting him as number one and we're growing together as a group and thinking about others and thinking about the others in the group and growing that way. It facilitates Christian community. That's, that's one of the reasons that we just love life groups. And so if you're not in a life group, I can't encourage you enough to figure it out for you to be able to, to be a part of one. And you know, if, if you're the other side, maybe you're the, I love Jesus, but, but I hate the church kind of person, um, you're only gonna be a fraction of who God intends you to be. Because God created you for relationships. God created you for community. We are supposed to be in community together. And our conflicts stay conflicts when we don't communicate or we gossip or we communicate in a toxic way and when we give in to our selfish desires. If, if, if maybe you're the kind of, well, the problem's everybody else, just ask me. <laughs> That's not a godly way to approach this. The selfish desires drive us to a place of bitterness and, and scheming and destruction, just as God's word says here, and it keeps us from God's best for us. But, but we end up thinking, and maybe it's not in these words exactly, but, but what ends up coming out is something along these lines, that oh, I'm gonna talk about this person in front of this person because it'll make me look better to them. What we need to do is we need to stop praying on each other and start praying for each other, right? You see what I'm doing there? Stop praying on each other and start praying to the Father. Let's keep going, verse seven. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So much here, but can I just highlight a promise from God right here? Come close to God and God will come close to you. This is a promise. This is a promise from God. And you're saying, as I've heard from, from people before, I, I, just, I, I just don't feel like I'm close to God. I just don't, I, I feel like I'm distant from God. I don't, I don't feel it. And then, 
and then maybe the question of when, you know, when is God going to come close? When, when am I going to feel like God, God is close to me? And here's, here's, the, here's the tough answer to that. It's when you're serious about it. When you're serious about it and, and when you're serious about him, you may say, well, I am. Maybe, maybe you're not. When your loyalty is not divided between your selfish ambition and you actually make the effort to wash your hands of the things that are keeping your loyalty divided, that are keeping you selfish and keeping you prideful. And we all struggle with this daily, daily, if, if not multiple times a day, right? But these are the kinds of things that keep us from God. And, and it's probably the same stuff that is keeping you in conflict with others unresolved. It's funny how many times those things tie in. Keep in mind that the enemy is going to use whatever he can, whatever he can, to keep you from drawing close to God. Satan knows this verse too. And he's going to do whatever he can to, to draw you away as you try to draw close to God. And that usually involves some kind of selfishness, some kind of, you know, it's all about me mentality that maybe you don't even see, especially when it comes to conflict between others, and especially when it comes to conflict within the body of Christ. Here's another thing that we can learn from this verse, and, and another, I guess, another, another lesson and, and another perspective to, to look at conflict resolution, and this is a tough one for a lot of us, and it's this, be willing to be wrong. Be willing to be wrong. There's a lot of... Um, unwillingness to be wrong that you see on TV, on the news, on the you fill in the blank, on the, on the Facebook, on all of that. But let me ask you this. Do we try to resolve our conflict with people by trying to prove that the other person is wrong? Is that our plan? Not a great plan. It's not a great plan. There's two sides to every story, and the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. But what's worse is when it's among those that are of the family of faith, that when it's, when it's among us, the people of God, and we plant our flag and we take our side and we write off that brother or sister in Christ and we end up looking no different than people who aren't believers in the way in which we handle it. Aren't we supposed to be the other way? Aren't we supposed to be the, the antithesis of that? Aren't we supposed to be the people of God who, who, who handle things with love? Let's keep going. Verse 11, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. That's pretty clear. I don't know any other way to read that. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? So let's stop, let's stop judging each other. Let's stop judging others, especially within the family of faith and individually submit to God's word. Let's worry about us. Let's worry about us individually and let that spill out. That mirror mentality, remember? That mirror mentality. Here's another way to look at that. Let's be a student, not a critic. When it comes to conflict resolution and when it comes to maybe something that's gone wrong and, and something that... You know, there, there's, a, there's a, a rub there and, and something needs fixed. A lot of times we're, we're the opposite of this. 
But if we're starting with an other-centered mentality, if we're judging our own selfish motives, if we're willing to be wrong, then we can be to this place where we can be a student and not a critic. And here's what I mean by that. What can I learn from this situation that I'm in? What can I learn from this? Where, where did I miss a step? And how can I get better? Or we can go at it from the perspective of this is wrong, that is wrong, this thing is wrong. And uh, I love to point out problems without giving any kind of help on, on a solution or a productive solution to fix it. How toxic is that? But we've all seen it and we've all done it. You know, I, I find personally that the place that I push back or disagree the most, and, and this comes probably after the fact where I've had to like humble myself and, you know, stick my foot in, in my mouth kind of thing. But usually the place that I push back and disagree the most is probably the place that I have the most to learn. And usually it's because of a lack of context, it's because of a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge of the situation. Perspective matters. And sometimes yours and mine is wrong. Sometimes it's wrong and we need to be okay with admitting that because we're never gonna resolve anything if we just plant our flag and stay on our side. See, critics or cynics, they focus on what something is. And that's generally not helpful. But a critical thinker or is, is somebody that focuses on what something can be. You see the difference? Somebody with a critical spirit is just going to tell you what's wrong with everything. But a critical thinker is somebody that's going to not only see those things, but then tell you what something can be. That's helpful. A critical spirit is not. And so let me just ask you, where are you on that one? Do you let the, the poison of, and, and, and bitterness of conflict in your life sit and rot even more? Or could you take that as an opportunity to maybe make things stronger and make things better and make a relationship stronger? Look at verse 13. It says, look here, you say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. You know, another translation of this says that uh, your life is a vapor. You maybe have heard that one before. And it's so true. But, you know, we let conflict and division stay around, and we let that toxicity grow and spread. But what a waste of time. What a waste of time. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow, which is, which is why Scripture tells us over and over and over again to root out the toxic communication culture that drags us down, that's using, uh, that, that pushes us to use our words the wrong way and destroy people, to, to talk about people behind their backs instead of coming to them in a loving way, asking the Holy Spirit to help us in resolving things. Listen, conflict is never going away. We are all sinful people. And until Jesus comes back, conflict is going to be a thing because the only, the only person that knows how to say everything right is Jesus. He's the only person because we're, we're sinful humans. But you know what? There's freedom in being other-centered. There is freedom in dealing with conflict God's way. 
The real, and, and it's tough at the time. It can be hard and it can be awkward and all of those things. But boy, at the end of it, when it's all said and done, it's worth it. But nothing worth doing is ever easy. So if, if there's maybe some kind of conflict or something that, that the Holy Spirit is just pushing on your heart right now, and, and is, let, let me just encourage you to lean into it a little bit. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you, you may not know what to say, and you may say some things wrong. But if you're approaching it from God's perspective, it's going to end up actually healing stronger in the end. I love to say God is in the business of breaking us apart so that he can put us back together stronger. They say that when, our, when you break a bone, that your bone actually heals stronger. I think that's such a cool picture of the way in which God loves to, to just grow us and strengthen us. Sometimes we need to be broken so that we can get stronger. And there are so many verses in scripture that talk about conflict resolution. And I'm just going to rifle off a few of them here um, for you. Nearly every letter to the churches in the New Testament talks about this. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, which is one of the places that, that a lot of people start when we talk about conflict resolution or, or things like that, especially within the church, is Matthew 18. And so I just want to go through these verses, and they're in your Bible app. You can follow with me here real quick and just, just read these, thinking through what, what we're talking about here. Starting in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. And then the next verse in the Old Testament, Proverbs 15, says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That verse right there is probably a whole message and connection point to some of us, myself included. Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Next verse. It says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. This is in Philippians 2, and this is a, this is a passage that we looked at when a lot of the, the COVID lockdown stuff started, to, to start thinking about in the interest of others. And then Colossians 3, I love this chapter, this whole chapter of Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, the first aspect of a kingdom community life is humility. And then the second is honesty. When it comes to, to how we get along, those two things. But if, if we say we love someone and we don't speak the truth, and we don't speak honestly to them when there is conflict because we're afraid that they may not like us, then do we really love them? Think about that. Do we, do, do we really love them if we're afraid to say the truth? Because if we're speaking the truth in love, right, let me put it this way. If a doctor tells you, you, you come to find out that a doctor found a lump that needed surgery, but they didn't tell you about it because they were afraid that you wouldn't like them, who would be good with that? Nobody. Nobody would be good with that. But that's what we do when it comes to conflict. Let me put it this way. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. We can be extremely brutal with the truth that is truth. But Jesus said we should speak the truth in love. There's a way to do both. 
And we need the Holy Spirit to do it because we're going to screw it up. You know, this COVID-19 vaccine is supposed to help eradicate a worldwide pandemic. And, and you know, we pray that it does. But, but what's more poisonous and deadly and longer lasting than toxic communication in this world that, that can escalate conflict into catastrophe because we handle it our way instead of God's way? Shouldn't we be the ones who are the vaccine for the toxic communication of this world? Shouldn't the church of Jesus be the ones who can help with the pandemic of toxic communication? Shouldn't it start with us? For a world that is toxic, the love of Jesus through us is a vaccine that is tried and tested and we know works and eternity with Jesus is the reward. And we have a chance to be a part of that. Quote from C.S. Lewis, he says this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So that's why my connection point for the morning is this. End your toxic conflicts with selflessness and humility before God. I know this is a bit of a mouthful, but it all needs to be there. If you're going to end the toxic conflicts that are in your life, and you're always going to have conflicts. We are always going to have conflict because we're sinful people. It's going to take selflessness and it's going to take humility. And you might be the one that has to open up with that. Let me ask you this. Is somebody waiting for you to make the first move? Or is your pride keeping you from making it? you afraid of what may or may not happen let me just say this Jesus humbled himself for you so that we can humble ourselves for others you are free to humble yourself to others and know that the Holy Spirit is going to to help you if you ask and if you approach this from an others-centered perspective, yeah, it might get tough, it might get awkward, but it's gonna be better at the end. Look at the very last verse of James chapter four. It says, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I know this is hard. I know this is tough, but you know, the way that we resolve conflict with others is not winning the war with them. It's to wage war against the powers of darkness that try to keep conflict there. The powers of darkness that try to wage war in your soul and try to keep, try to keep us divided, especially as the family of God. We need to judge our selfish motives. We need to be willing to be wrong, to daily take up our cross. We need to be a student, not a critic. We need to speak the truth in love. And it will move in the direction of peace in your relationships. And let me just say, this whole idea, this works in dating as much as it works in marriage, as much as it works in other relationships. This isn't just exclusive to friends. In fact, I would say if, if you're married or, or you're dating someone, this would be 
um, boy, you should really take this to heart because conflict is going to be there. And are we trying to settle it our way or God's way? Will you bow your heads with me? You know, in a world that thrives on destroying each other, this kind of culture, this kind of culture of, of love, of selflessness, of humility, that's what's attractive. And that's what connects people to Jesus. And that's the kind of culture that we should have as the church. And as Connect Church, with the, <laughs> that word in our name, connecting people to Christ, community and purpose. Jesus wants more for us than to leave conflict as a division. Jesus humbled himself for you and for me so we can humble ourselves for each other. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much. I thank you that you humbled yourself for us, that you were willing to do whatever it took because you love us so much to, to, to bridge the gap, to resolve the conflict between us and you, which was our sin. Lord, you, you went beyond the extra mile for us and we're so grateful. And now, Lord, we have that free gift of eternal life, that free gift of, of being together with you. Lord, I, I know that there may be some of us in here that, that have an unresolved conflict with someone in our life right now. And Lord, we need you to resolve that. We have the principles of your word, but Holy Spirit, we need you to help us walk through that. And so I pray that, that we would. If there's those here that are, that are just feeling that press from your Holy Spirit, I pray that, I pray that they would follow that. Lord, maybe not all of us have conflict with someone right now, but we will. Help us to remember these things. Help us to even put them in practice even now. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, God, maybe they don't have a relationship with you. Maybe they feel like there's conflict between you and them. Lord, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would show them how much you love them and how you, you are other-centered, Lord, that, that you came for us because we can't save ourselves. So Lord, if there's, if there's one here or one watching that doesn't know that, that doesn't have that assurance, Lord, I pray that they would make that decision, that they would maybe talk to one of us either here or online in the chat and get that right, to claim heaven as their home today and to resolve that conflict between you and them. As we worship you now, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just continue to move because we need you, Father. In Jesus' name.